Well, it's a new year, and what happens on the new year? What do we always do as a society? We make resolutions. What's your resolution this year? What, your, your what? Your, your resolution is not to make a resolution. Perfect. <laughs> resolutions. We, we make them, right, at this time of the year. It's one of the things that we do, uh, and, and sometimes uh, we make them and we keep them. And sometimes we keep them for like a month, and sometimes we keep them for a day, and sometimes we don't even keep them for an hour, right? I have, I, the one that, that my age likes to do is I'm going to work out more. And, uh, and usually if you go to the Y, that first month of January, it's the most packed month uh, to be there. And then by the time you get to February, it's back to the normal people, right? Uh, I do have friends uh, that have made that resolution and have kept it through the entire year of last year, and it's amazing to see their transformation, uh, but I've also had friends that said they were going to do it and, and didn't keep it, and my question is, why do we make these resolutions but not keep them? And I think the answer to that is habits, right? Habits are extremely powerful. And even though we may do something for a period of time, eventually we get to the place in our life where it's just easier to do what we've always done. All right, something else with some of these resolutions, especially with the get healthy resolution, we like to do what's easy, right? And working out is not easy. All right? It's easier to watch Netflix than it is to go work out at the Y. All right? It's easier to go to fast food than it is to make healthy food for yourselves. It's also cheaper sometimes. Uh, and, and, and we have uh, this thing where it's just easiest to do and, and we like to do what is easy. Uh, today we want to look at a subject and that is following God. And I think that when we choose to follow God with all that we are in every aspect of our life, it is not easy. Uh, I think it's tough sometimes to follow God. Uh, when no one is looking, what do you do? Right? It's sometimes easy to, to, within the church, to make sure that we're doing the right things at Sunday morning, right? We don't want people to look badly upon us as we're coming into the doors of church. But what do we do Monday through Saturday when we're in our homes, when we're by ourselves, when no one is telling us what is right and wrong? And I think those times tell us, where we're at spiritually, and I think those times are sometimes the hardest to, to be faithful because it's easier to sin. All right, and so we want to look at a life uh, today of someone that I think lived this, this type of life out. When no one was looking, he was faithful to God always. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 40 today, and so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them. Uh, we're going to look at the life of Joseph just briefly. Um, and, and we're just going to look at one story of his life uh, and to kind of uh, set the scene because we're going to pick up in the middle of his story. I want us to look at, at what's happened up to this point, because I think it's more of the lesson than anything else that we're going to read today. All right, Joseph, uh, he was the favored son. Right, he was the one that Jacob was like, woohoo, you're awesome. Now, I think 
Uh, we all as parents say we do not have favorites. How many parents say that? None of my children are my favorites. But in practice, there's sometimes that we do favor our ch- some children over the other. I, I, I see this in my life in this way. And, 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 and for me, it all depends on their interest, right? All right, so uh, a couple of years ago, I won season tickets to the professional uh, soccer team in Kansas City. And, and so we went to a lot of games. And I took every single one of my kids to, every, to one of the games. However, Hadessa went to one game because she doesn't like sports. And when we went, uh, she was there. F- and at halftime, she's like, can we go home now? And I'm like, no, there's still another half to watch. And soccer's quick, like it's 90 minutes and you're done, okay? Uh, Unlike baseball or or some of these other uh, sports, you know? So she was ready to be done at halftime, all right? Whereas Micah and Hannah, they really liked watching soccer, and so they got to go to three or four games. And so I showed favoritism when I was like, okay, who's going to come with me today? Not Hadessa, which one of you two are going to come with me today? And it's not because I don't love Hadessa. If I'm going shopping, you know who I'm taking? I'm taking that girl because she is a shopper, all right? And, and it's just in that situation, I show favoritism based on what their interest is. Now, Jacob was a little bit different, all right? Jacob showed favoritism way above and beyond towards Joseph. And to some extent, I understand, okay? Jo- Jacob, when he... Uh, went to get married. He really loved Rachel, but for some reason he had to marry Leah first because of their culture and and something that was going on there. Uh, He was tricked into it, and so he ends up waking up like, oh, it's Leah, not Rachel, and so he's kind of upset, and so he goes and he marries Rachel as well, and then they start to have children, and it's not Rachel that has children first. It's Leah, all right, And, and so Leah has some children, and some other things happen, and eventually uh, Twelve children later, uh, Rachel has her first child, and that is Joseph. Right, and so Joseph is Rachel, Jacob's favored wife's only child at this point. Right, and, and so he probably shows a lot of favoritism because this is the relationship that he really wanted. And so I can kind of see why he did it. Right? At the same time, it wasn't good. All right? He uh, favored his son to the point that he gave him a special coat, uh, which was a place of honor, all right? the many collars we call it, okay, and, and, and the coat of many collars. And, and it's a special thing, and it, it exalted his youngest son above all of his other sons. And that culture wasn't a good thing either. Right? And, and then he also did, kept his son from some of the harder labors that his other children had. And you know what Joseph did in response to all that? He tattled on his brothers. See, his brothers weren't always good people. In fact, you can read some of their stories and you can tell that they're not good people in general. And so when they were doing something they weren't supposed to do, you know what Joseph did? He said, hey, Dad, guess what? Guess where my brothers are? And so already to be favored by your father and then to tattle on your brothers, that's... That's not going to be a good situation, is it? All right, and so that's kind of where Joseph was at. Uh, and and his br- he f- goes out one day to find his brothers, and his brothers weren't where they were supposed to be. All right, again, they were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing. And then when he finally finds them, they see him, and they're like, okay, we got to fix this problem. And the way they decide to fix it is to take 
Joseph take the coat off him, throw him into a pit, and then eventually sell him as a slave, take the coat back to dad and say, hey, uh, they covered it with blood from a lamb, and they said, hey, dad, is this your son's coat? Uh, we found it, but nothing of him remains. And so his dad thinks he's dead. They lie to their father. All right? And that's kind of where Joseph's at. And so Joseph has something terrible happen in his life. He goes from this favored son to a slave. And I think a lot of times when bad things happen to us, we often get into this situation where we get angry at the world. We're mad that life has thrown us a curveball and we can't handle it. All right, we get uh, mad at the people that do it to us. We start to blame everyone else but us. But for Joseph, he doesn't seem to do that. All right, rather than get angry at the lot that's been cast to him, he instead remains faithful to God. And we see that as he's a slave under the house of Potiphar, he is faithful to God and God is with him. When we read the passages, it says God is with him and blesses him and makes everything that Joseph does flourish. And Potiphar recognizes this and he exalts uh, Joseph and, and promotes him to the highest position a slave could have over the entire household. Right? And so even in the midst of this tragedy, even in the midst of this a terrible thing happening in his life, he is still faithful despite what's going on. Uh, as he is uh, working for Potiphar, it turns out that Potiphar's wife is not necessarily a faithful woman, and she wants to uh, sleep with Joseph, and so she keeps on enticing him. She keeps on saying, hey, won't you come to bed with me? And Joseph, every time, says no that's not good towards God, and it's not good towards your husband. I'm not going to do this. Again, we see his faithfulness, even when no one's around to say what you're doing is right or wrong. Right? No one there is serving the God of his fathers, right? and yet he still remains faithful to God. Right? And so then he makes one mistake, and that one mistake is he's caught alone with her, in the house, and no one's go there, and all the servants are gone, and she grabs him, and he wiggles out of his coat and runs away, and so she's left with the coats, and so when Potiphar comes home, she makes up a story. That servant, he tried to uh, seduce me, and I screamed, and he ran away, and so what ends up happening with Joseph, even though he was faithful, even though he was good, even though he never sinned in that situation, he is thrown into prison because of what the woman has said. And that's his lie. He, we find him here at, at the end of 39 in the first part of chapter 40 in prison. Not because he's done anything wrong, but simply because other people have unjustly done things to him. All right, so let's read. Uh, I know I said 40. We want to read kind of this backstory on, on, on the last few verses of 39. Uh, and let's read that. Uh, second part of verse 20 says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Uh, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. 
And I think what we see in these, these, this last part of, verse, of chapter 39 is the continuation of Joseph's faithfulness. All right, Joseph is now in prison, all right, but he doesn't give up on his faith with God. All right? He continues to be faithful, and we see that faithfulness uh, later on in chapter 40, but we see it even in here with God being with Joseph. All right? The only reason God would stay with Joseph is if Joseph stayed with God. All right? And so because of Joseph's faithfulness, God blesses him even while he's in prison, and he's suffering there unjustly. In fact, you could probably say most of Joseph's life for the last 10 years or so has been about suffering, not because he's done anything wrong, but because wrong's been done to him. His brothers have thrown him in as a slave. He's been thrown into prison by Potiphar and his wife. And there's, there's good reasons for those things sometimes, right? As a brother, I had a brother who I fought with from time to time. And I don't know that I ever would have sold him into slavery, but it's what happened. With Potiphar's wife, you know, it's really a case of he said, she said, and who as the husband are you going to listen to? In case you don't know husbands, it's your wife every time. You listen to her. And this is one of those situations that, that he gets thrown in even though he did nothing wrong. And if anyone had a reason to hate God, it was Joseph. Why am I here? Why am I suffering in this way? And yet Joseph didn't. I think that's amazing about his faith and his faithfulness to God. That even though he had all these reasons to blame God and be angry at, the reason, at his lot in life, he wasn't. I think this says something about uh, the Bible as well and about us following God. I think the Bible never once says that life is easy for those who follow God. And I think we have to understand that. There's no promise that if you begin following God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, that life is suddenly, magically going to be all right. In fact, I think it's the opposite. When we look at the men and women of great faith who follow God faithfully, almost always there's suffering involved. We see it in Joseph. All right, we, we've gone through some of these things. He's in prison. He's, he's sold into slavery. He's there because he's done nothing wrong, all right, because other people are doing it. But we see in other great men. All right, we see it in the life of Moses. All right, Moses, yes, he is in exile because of sin, all right, but when he comes back to Egypt to set his people free, the first thing he does is he tells Pharaoh, hey, you need to let our people go. And Pharaoh says, okay, now you guys have so much time on your hands and you're asking to be let go. Now you got to make bricks, but you have to find your own straw. And so when he goes back to the Israelites, their reaction is not good. You're making life harder for us, Moses. Why are you here? And then after the ten plagues and they leave, they get to Pihaharath right at the Red Sea, and they're about to cross over, and the Egyptian army comes. And you know what the people say to Moses in that moment? Why did you bring us here? 
Would it have been better for us to die in Egypt than to be here? I mean, he had brought them. Their life was not easy in Egypt. Their sons were being thrown into the Nile River, and they would rather be there than following Moses. And time after time after time, throughout Moses' life, he has to deal with these people who on multiple occasions says, why don't we kill you and go back to Egypt? And he has to deal with them. His life wasn't easy. And he followed God for the most part faithfully. All of the men and women in the Bible, when you find them, when you read their stories, you see that there is suffering in their lives if they're following faithfully. And I think we have to recognize this. See, I think one of the resolutions that we should be making in our lives is being faithful to God in all aspects of who we are. Not just faithfully coming on Sunday morning, but faithfully serving Him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And I think when we make that resolution, it is not a resolution that we get to set aside when life gets hard. Because life's going to be hard. If you choose to follow God, if you choose to say, I'm going to be faithful to him and all that I am, it's going to get difficult. And when life gets difficult, when, when we start to suffer, not because we've done anything wrong, but because we're followers of God, we can't lay it aside. It's a lifelong commitment. It's, it's a testing. It's, a, it's one of those things that we have to get through. And there's a lot of suffering. We suffer a lot, not because we've done anything wrong. Sometimes we suffer at work. Sometimes we suffer within our families when we lose loved ones. Sometimes we suffer through illnesses. Sometimes we just suffer because life is difficult. But even in the midst of suffering, we need to remain faithful. Jesus tells a couple of parables in Luke where he's talking to his disciples and telling them that following is hard. And he says, you have to consider the cost before you decide to follow me. And he tells two parables to kind of get this across to them. He says, if a man starts to build a tower, what does he have to do first? He has to decide how much it's going to cost. Because if he doesn't in the beginning, he'll start to build a tower that's too big that he can't complete because he runs out of money. And everyone will see that tower and be like, look at that fool. He says, and the second example is that of a king that goes to war. And if a king goes to war with another king, he needs to, to consider how big his army is compared to the army that he's going to face. And if his army is so small that the other king is going to overpower him, he needs to go to that king and make peace before the battle starts. Otherwise, he's going to lose. And Jesus says this, it's what you should be doing when you choose to follow me. Count the costs. Consider in your life, is it worth it? Because it is tough. Following Jesus is not easy. 
And I think we see that in Joseph's life. I think that we see that throughout the rest of the people in the Bible. Following Jesus is hard. But it's worth it. Uh, the story continues with Joseph. Joseph, he's, he's in prison, uh, but while he's there, he's thriving. He's placed again over some people. And in verse, chapter 40, verses 1, we read that uh, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king uh, of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with the two officials uh, and uh, put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard assigned him to Joseph and he attended them there. Uh, we got to kind of recognize what's going on here. Prisons in their society was a little bit different than ours. Uh, most towns did not actually have prisons because if you were caught doing something, uh, the punishment was, was enforced right away. All right, our prisons, our punishment is you go to prison. Whatever. All right, that's just what happens in our society. So it's a little bit different uh, than, than what... Uh, what they had to endure. All right, and so for the king, he would have had a prison, and it would have kind of been a place to hold political rivals and 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 uh, enemies of war. Uh, and and this age, two thousand years uh, BC, easily uh, it would have been uh, kind of a holding place until the king decided to to hear the case against you. All right, and so uh, almost like a house arrest in in a in a sense, it would have been more like a house than necessarily. Uh, bars and chains and that type of stuff. All right, and so we're told that two guys are, are tossed into there. Uh, we're not told what they did to offend him, uh, the king of Egypt, but we could probably assume based on their jobs. All right, the first job was that of a cupbearer. Uh, we don't have cupbearers in our society because of different things, but for them, cupbearers were important. All right, it, they usually served the king and, and other uh, high officials, uh, and their job was to taste everything that was going to be served to the king. All right, so he got to drink the wine, he got to eat some food, and he uh, then set it before the king. And the reason he did this was because the best way to get rid of a king in that, that society was to poison him. And so you didn't want your king just being poisoned and killed off, and so you had this cupbearer, this low person on the totem pole who drank everything, and if it was poisonous, what happened to the cupbearer? He died. And who cares if the cupbearer dies? Maybe his family, that's it. All right, but who cares if the king dies? The whole country goes into chaos, and so uh, they'd rather have this one person die than that. All right, so that was kind of his job, was to taste everything and set it before the king. The baker, we kind of understand that, right? The baker makes food. All right, he would have baked all the cakes and all the uh, meats and all the fruits, and he would have set it out before the king. And so what can we assume that was going on? Someone was wanting to poison the king. Because right? if you had the baker who makes the food in collusion with the, the cupbearer who had said, yeah, I tasted this. All right, but didn't actually taste it, uh, the king could easily die. And so for both of them to be thrown into prison at the same time, we can kind of assume that that's what's happening. All right? However, we don't, the king doesn't know exactly what's going on, and so he's going to take some time to figure it out. And so uh, we read at the second part of verse 4 that they have been in custody for some time. We don't know how long, uh, but they're probably investigating, and so it's probably been a couple weeks. And we're told in verse 5 that each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, uh, who was being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. 
All right, dreams in that society uh, were important, okay? They were considered divine uh, messages from, from the gods, all right? The Egyptians and the Mesopotamians, they had developed an entire culture around this, all right? And, and you had uh, a society that had people whose entire job was to interpret your dream, and they wrote books, and you could buy these little manuals, and you could figure out what your dream meant. Uh, they kind of did them a little bit differently. The Egyptians uh, were more of foretelling. They believed that it told the future. Uh, the Mesopotamians were more of uh, the, you had to do a ritual associated with your dream, all right, but that's kind of what they, they did, and these two guys, they both have a dream, and we're going to see that they're going to be very sad, and they're going to be sad because there's no one around to tell them what their dream means, all right, if dreams are divine messages, all right, and in Egypt, they're, they're about your future, and you have one, you want to know what it has to say for you. And so no one's around to tell them, and they're going to be sad. So in verse 6 and 8, we read that Joseph came to them the next morning. Uh, He saw that they were dejected. So he asked the officials who were in his custody, uh, why do you look so sad today? And they both said, we both had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And so Joseph, uh, he replies with this, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. All right, so here again, we see Joseph's faithfulness to God. He could have given up on God at any point in time, and yet we see that as these, dream, these guys are saying they're sad and they have uh, no way to remedy it, Joseph says, hey, I have an answer. I have a solution for you because God can interpret your dreams. All right, and so he's still remaining faithful to God. He still has that line of communication. All right, and so he's showing his faithfulness here. Uh, The cupbearer goes first. In verse 9, we read that he tells Joseph his dream. He says, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine uh, were three branches, and as soon as it budded, it blossomed, and the clusters uh, ripened into grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hands. All right, kind of an interesting dream. Uh, I don't always remember the details of my dream, all right, but this guy seems to have it down. All right, and so Joseph, he, he interprets it. He says the three vines represent three days, and in three days, uh, the cupbearer is going to be restored to his position. And then Joseph kind of cracks here. All right, He turns to the cupbearer, and he says, tell Pharaoh about me. All right, and, and, and even though th- this is the only crack we kind of see in Joseph in all this, is even though he is suffering and even though he's remaining faithful to God, he doesn't want to be there anymore. All right? And sometimes when we're suffering, we don't really want to be there anymore, do we? We want to move on. All right? and so this is Joseph's chance. He's saying, please tell Pharaoh so that we, I'm, I'm here not because I've done anything wrong. I'm here unjustly. Please tell him about me. Well, the baker, he hears Joseph's interpretation, and he's like, hey, that's great news. Here's my dream, and he spills it out in verses 16 and 17. He says, uh, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread, and the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket that were on my head. And the news for him isn't as good. He says, the baskets are three days, and in three days, Pharaoh is going to take off your head. He's going to behead you and impel you on a spike. All right, and, and so that's kind of bad news. And yet, in spite of the bad news, Joseph does not hesitate in telling it. All right, 
the news are good or bad, and he's still faithful in the interpretation for God. Uh, the last things that happen in this chapter, verses 20 through 23, we read uh, that three days later, Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials, and he lifted up the heads of the chief bake, cupbearer and the chief baker into his presence uh, with his officials, and he restored the cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in their interpretation. And then verse 23, the important part of this verse, the chief cupbearer forgot to remember Joseph. And in his excitement, he just forgot about Joseph, this guy who told him his dreams. And, and it's not for another two years that he remembers Joseph and his abilities. Two more years of suffering. See, the suffering that we face for being faithful to God Sometimes it lasts a long time. And yet, even though Joseph, he, he, we don't know how long he's been in prison, we don't know long, how long he's been a slave, but it's been a long time already. And now he has another two years where he probably thinks in that time, the cupbearer has forgotten me. And yet, in that entire time, he is faithful. And after those two years, he is brought before Pharaoh, and he's told Pharaoh his dream, and he is raised to the second highest position in all of Egypt. And he's finally blessed because of his faithfulness. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you're suffering, however long it's been, understand that if you just hold on someday, it may be 10 years, it may be two years, it may be not until you get to heaven, but someday God will bless you. Our resolution this new year should be to be faithful to God wherever he has placed us. Wherever he's made us to, to serve him. And yes, it may be difficult. And yes, it may be hard to get through. But if we remain faithful, God will remain faithful to us. And God will bless us where we've been placed. Let us make it our habits to serve him no matter what is going around, no matter who is around, if it's everyone or no one. Let us be faithful to him so that when tough times happen, that is the easiest thing we do is being faithful to God. Habits, they're important. And Joseph's habit was to be faithful to God despite his circumstances. And I think we can learn a lot from Joseph and imitate him in this time. Let's pray. Father God, it is not easy following you. This world is, is full of people who, who don't serve you, and, and sometimes it's just easier to, to go with the crowd and to just be a part of the world. I pray, God, in our lives that we will recognize that tendency in us and that we will uh, choose not to follow everyone else, but to follow you alone. Help us, Father, to, to be faithful uh, when it is difficult. Help us to follow you um, every day of our lives. Help us to be um, those who are, are leaning back on you when times get tough. Help us, Father, uh, to set our eyes on you and you alone. I see things in your name. Amen.